Now, last week we looked at we looked at some stars. We looked at four of them, and and I told you that Canis Majoris was the biggest star, biggest known star in our galaxy. In fact. Um, you could fit 2.7, for those of you who weren't here, 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris, okay? But I was talking with a friend, and we were, I, I thought, you know, I got that information from Louis Giglio. I wonder, and that sermon w- that he preached was preached in 2012. I wonder if they've seen any other large ones. And actually, there is one that's a little bit bigger than Canis Majoris. Maybe you, you already were ready to correct me today and tell me that there's a star that's a little bit bigger. It's not... Hugely bigger, and it doesn't have near the cool name that Canis Majoris is. I mean, the big dog star. Come on, that's great. Um, It's U-Y Scuddy, S-C-U-T-I. That's actually the biggest star in our known, what we can see anyway, in our universe, which is actually in our galaxy still. So um, last week we talked about how big God is, and I hope that that expanded your, your view of him a little bit as we tried to somehow grasp millions and millions of light years and quadrillion numbers and all of that stuff. Now, I mentioned last week that I watched a couple weeks ago a movie that was really not very good. It was a remake of the, of the movie Lost in Space, or the, which, which was actually a TV show. Who's old enough to remember Lost in Space? Raise your hand. Yeah, wow. It, it, it came out in 1968, which was a year after I was born, actually, and, and that was as high of quality pictures I could find on the internet for Lost in Space. Um, and then there's a modern version of that movie that they sort of remade, and it didn't really do very well. It, it really was terrible. Um, I, I watched it. And uh, it, essentially, essentially, it's about, um, about this family that, that leaves planet Earth because we had had ruined the earth environmentally and it wasn't going to be able to sustain life much longer and they were headed off millions and millions and millions of light years to this new planet that they had found to, you know, start over. And something happened. They were actually sabotaged, at least in the new version, and uh, they, end up, they end up seriously lost in space. They have un- they're in uncharted, an uncharted part of the universe and it's like, honestly, there's really not much they can do um, to get back. They have, they have no way of doing it. And, and so the rest of the movie is them trying to figure out that. And, and as I thought about this, this concept of lostness this week, um, it, it reminded me of The Lost Boys, which is another weird movie and thing, unless, unless you attach Peter Pan with that Google search, and then you get The Lost Boys that I was thinking of. And that's these guys, right? Peter's companions in Neverland... And Peter is their leader. And as preteen boys lacking any adult supervision, they are often ill behaved and enjoy the freedom their wild lifestyle offers. But usually they have this hidden need or sense or desire for a mother. Um, and, and, and all that they try to do, they, they, they just can't figure that out until, of course, Wendy comes into the scene. Um, that, uh, this picture actually is the 1953 Disney adapt- adaptation. And, and they're always, even in the modern ones, they're, they're always shown with these pajamas or these costumes of animals. And, and, and I don't know, I don't really get that. I, I haven't studied the theology between, behind the Lost Boys of Peter Pan. But uh, we're in this series called 
a total eclipse. And an eclipse is when something gets in the way of the sun, at least for us. An eclipse means a solar eclipse, uh, means that the moon gets in the way of the sun and it, it hides it. And in our lives, oftentimes there are times where we, for whatever reason, if it's a difficult time in our life or maybe it's, maybe it's good things and, and we, it just sort of um, outshines or, or uh, darkens our uh, need to constantly be in relation with God. That's, that's kind of where we're going. And this morning, um, I want to talk to us about this idea of, of being lost. And now, uh, there was a man who absolutely hated his wife's cat. Um, I, this is, could be about me, but it, but it really isn't. Um, he, he absolutely hated his wife's cat, and he decided to get rid of him one day by driving him 20 blocks from the house and leaving him in a park. So he did that. He drove 20 blocks, left the cat. By the time he got home, he pulled into the driveway. The cat was sitting on the front step. And this guy is like, man. Um, So the next day, he decides to drive the cat 40 blocks away. And he puts the beast out of the car, and he quickly heads home. And driving back in his driveway, there's the cat again. He kept taking the cat further and further away, but the cat would always somehow beat him home. At last, he decided to drive miles away. So he turned left, he turned right, he went backwards, he went forward, he went past a bridge, and he went right again until he reached what he thought was a safe distance from his home, and he left the cat there. Hours later, hours later, the man calls home to his wife. Honey, is the cat there? Yes, the wife answers. Why do you ask? Frustrated, the man says, can you put it, please put him on the phone? I'm lost and I need directions. Now think back to a time when, in your life when you felt lost. Maybe you literally were lost. You were physically lost somewhere and you didn't know how to get from where you were to where you wanted to go and, and what that felt like. Uh, some, some of you here uh, may even uh, have experienced a time in your life where, where to an average normal person, it just felt like you didn't know what to do. You didn't know which way to turn. You didn't know what to think. Um, And the more you thought about it, the darker life got and the harder life got. And and the more you felt like uh, you were alone in in the world. That's the kind of lost feeling that that I want to talk about this morning. You know, the, the, the kind of feeling where we're looking for all kinds of meaning in life and we just keep coming to a dead end. We can't, we can't find it. We can't find it. We can't find it. I mean, we, 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 we try to fill it with entertainment or we try to, to find meaning in our work or we try to find meaning in, in sex. And, and, and maybe you thought that if you could just get one more degree, that would give me meaning in life. Maybe, maybe if I could just get one more promotion at work. Maybe if we could just pay off these bills, if we could just pay off the house, then, then I could really enjoy life and I could really have meaning and mission in my life. Maybe, maybe if I could just find that one person who would give me the attention that I think I need or that I deserve. But it always comes up empty. It always comes up empty. It always comes up empty. Now, a couple weeks ago, I attended a, the, the Goshen County Transportation's training day, and there were a couple presenters there that I thought odd at first, but, but now I see how important it really, it really was. The first... Uh, 
gentleman to present to us was a gentleman from the state of Wyoming, and he was introducing us to a new app, a new program, a new website that the state of Wyoming is, is rolling out, and it's called Safe to Tell. And, and you can actually go to your, your Play Store or, or your App Store on, on your iPhone, and you can, you can type safe, the number two, and tell, and it'll bring up this app. And it's, it, it's, it's in other states as well. And what this Safe to Tell app is, is it's an app that students, it's focused on high school students, uh, middle school students, where they can report something, and it's 100% totally anonymous. There's no way to track where that report came from, nothing. And, and what they will do is they'll go in, they'll, they'll, they'll uh, choose what it is, what it is that they're reporting, some sort of physical violence against another student, or, or they're concerned about another student that's maybe talking to them and they think they're maybe suicidal, something like that. Uh, maybe a teacher has acted inappropriately. They, they choose one of those things. They choose what city or what, what city they're in, and then they hit send. And it goes to the state completely anonymous. He, he told stories of students that were, that were actually physically saved at, at parties because this student was too drunk and would have probably died that night. But, but no student wants to be the, the tattletale, right? No student wants to be the one. In fact, he talked about how weeks before Columbine occurred, there were students that knew they were talking about this but didn't want to say anything. Now, now that's not the reason I bring this up. The reason I want to bring this up is the fact that, that they thought they were hoping for 12 reports a month. They got over 60. Out of the 564 reports that they got, which wasn't even a full school year, the highest percentage of reports were about suicide. Almost 20% of the reports that they received were about another student or themselves that were thinking about killing themselves, ending it. That's lost. That's a place of lost hope. And, 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 and the state of Wyoming and Alaska actually alternate during, during the course of a year at who's ahead in having the most suicides in their state. Wyoming is number one or two, depending on which month it is. Why is it that people feel so hopeless? And can we do anything about it? Then the next presenters came up, and they were their trainers in what's called QPR, Question, Persuade, Refer. And it's this, this way of, of making yourself aware and, 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 and taking notes or mental notes of students or adults who are acting differently than what they normally would. And, and, and we need to question that. What is this about? And maybe even ask them, are you thinking about, take, are, are you thinking about killing yourself? And the interesting thing is, they said that they almost never have anyone not answer that question. That it's almost like they're waiting for someone to ask them, for them to be able to say yes Yes, this is where I'm at. This is how lost and hopeless I feel. Why is, is this suicide rate such a thing with our kids? This hopelessness, this difficulty in life. I mean, it used to be 
that the only thing kids had to worry about was if they were going to wake up when they set their alarm for 5.45 on Saturday morning so they could watch cartoons. That's, that was me. It's the only time cartoons were on. And no, I wouldn't say I felt like I lived a deprived life. Now, now kids are asking themselves questions like, I, which home am I going to be in this weekend? Or, or, does anyone even love me? Does anybody care? Would the world really miss me anyway? There's increased anxiety at younger ages for our children. Those and many more top those with the fact that our nation has become a post-Christian nation. It used to be that we were of the majority and, and people would, you, all you had to do on a Sunday morning was open the doors and people came. It's not that way anymore. That doesn't happen. We open the doors and sometimes people that are Christians find better things to do than to go to church on a Sunday morning. Let alone people that don't know Jesus. We don't value the unborn in our nation anymore. So what would make our children think that we value them anymore when they get older if we're killing the unborn at an astronomical rate? Here's the thing. We have got to change this tide. We have got to change this thinking. We have to communicate to our children and our youth that they are important and that they are loved and that they have value and that they have hope. So what do we do? So what do you do? Now, this isn't a new condition, isn't it? I mean, people, people have been finding themselves in a hopeless state since the beginning of time. In fact, um, not even to go back to the beginning of time, but New Testament times. Turn in your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Now, I know, I want us to read this together, and I know probably not everybody has the same English translation, so here's what I want us to do. Roy's going to put this up on the screen. I want us all to stand and I want us to read this together out loud if we could. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to make three observations from this passage this morning. Three reactions that Jesus had to people. Not just then, but today. And we all seek to be more like Christ, right? 
So the first thing is this. It says, when he saw. You, you see, Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. Jesus took time to see people in all that he was doing and everywhere where he was going. He always took the time to stop and see people. He proclaimed, it says, the good news of the kingdom and he healed them. And then that passage says, when he saw the crowds, He was able to look outside of himself. He was able to look outside of his situation. I mean, he's got things to do, places to go, people to see, disciples to train. But he continues to look outside of himself and to see the people. It's easy, isn't it, to get wrapped up in our own selves and our own world and our own little kingdom and our own little galaxy and, and universe, even if we think of the universe that small. You ever been driving down the road and... Um, you drive through a town and you see a building and you look at your wife and you go, when did they build that? And she says, well, a year ago. Right? Have you ever had that experience? Have you, have you ever, um, have, husbands, have you ever been watching a football game? And like an hour and a half later, your wife says, honey, did you do such and such? And you say, when? No. And she says, well, I asked you 40 minutes ago, right? Well, I was watching the football game. So my response to that is, did I nod and say, yes, I hear you? Because if I didn't, I didn't hear you. I didn't see you. Um, Here's a video that kind of illustrates a, 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 a dangerous yet modern struggle that we have in our life. Not really seeing things. That's a good one. My, f- my favorite one's coming up right here. He doesn't even stop texting. He's like, oh, I got to get... Oh, ah, I bet that's going to hurt in the morning. You can't even text and walk. I mean, this happens with the needs of people around us. Doesn't it? Um, Our families, our jobs, and our desire to acquire and collect more things and more money can often take all of our attention. And our selfish bent feeds into this, and we only think about ourselves. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't focus on our families and our jobs, because those are important in our life. Yes, absolutely. But not to the neglect of other people around us. We need to see the needs of others around us too. We can't just keep to ourselves and avoid seeing. Because sometimes I think we think, well, if I, just, if I just ignore it and I don't see it, then I'm really not responsible for helping. If I don't really know what's going on over there and I just sort of stay over here, then, then ignorance is, a, is, is an excuse. You know, we can't just avoid seeing the needs around us. And the youth of our community need to be seen. That's my focus this morning, is on our kids. I know this is true of adults too. And we all have different um, circles of influence and places where we spend our time. But our youth need us to, to see them. 
So what was it that Jesus saw? It says that he saw that they were harassed and helpless. And they were being led astray and were in a hopeless and lost state. And there was nothing that these people could do about it. There's nothing that they could do about it in and of themselves. There's nothing when we're in that lost state that we can do for ourselves. It's only Jesus Christ who can save us. Jesus uses this illustration. They're wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. There's no one to lead them. There's no one to guide them. No one to protect them. And the battle for their souls is real. John 10.10 and 11 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And we know that he has. He laid his life down for you and for me. He's the good shepherd. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And quite honestly, some days it feels like he's succeeding, doesn't it? It feels like he's winning. Now, as I think about that, I think there are battles that are being lost. There are. Virginia lost a battle to the thief who wants to kill and destroy and convince people that their, their way of thinking is right, but when in fact it's not. And we need to not only see them, but we need to take steps to be involved in their lives. You see, there was a lot of people in this situation that Jesus is talking about here, and he saw them, and then it says that he did something. It says this. It says he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. He loved them. Jesus had compassion on them. He felt the pain that was in their life in his heart. He felt what they were doing. And the question that I have for us here this morning is, what are we going to do about the lost kids in our area, in our communities? The lost boys and the lost girls. Because we have the message, right? We have a message of hope. We have a message of life. We have a message and a God, a spirit that indwells us, that, that gives us and enables us to have the strength and the energy to love people that don't reciprocate it, to forgive people that, that treat us wrongly. We have that. And, and, and God wants to use that as we experience life with each other and with other people. Now, we have a staff, right? We have a couple people that we have hired as a church to be our youth pastor. Caleb does middle school and high school and worship on Sunday mornings. And Pastor Michael is, is charged with, with planning and strategizing and organizing the, our ministry to, to, to our children and our kids. But here's the thing. If it's just Michael and Caleb and me, how many kids can they affect? How many lives of kids can they impact? Efficiently, effectively. Three, four, five? That's ten. I, I didn't look it up, but I wonder how many kids and youth we have in this county. It's more than ten. We have the message. 
The good shepherd, it says, lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus did that. He, he paid with his life. He rose again. It, 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 honestly, it, it takes me back to when before Jesus was crucified and he's having a conversation with the woman at the well. What did he say to her? The water that I have to give, you'll never get thirsty again. You'll have feelings of hopelessness, but you won't feel hopeless. You'll have those moments in, in, in time when, when, when the love of God and his power and his mightiness is eclipsed in your life, but he's still there and he's as real as he will ever be. You see, the job of a, a youth pastor, the job of a pastor, the job of a children's minister isn't to do all the work. It's, it's to equip the saints, right? Right, if, if, if I read my Bible correctly, it's to rally a team. It, it's, it's to make a plan and, and, and gather a team. And, and it's to lead as many horses to, to the watering hole as we can. Now, as I said, we can't make him drink. But as Pastor Ty used to say, but we can feed him some salt. We can make them thirsty. We can love them. We can care for them. And when they see that, when somebody spends just a little bit of extra time with them, and they see that some, some adult, some older person in their life, you college kids, I know what you're thinking. Well, he's obviously not talking to me. I'm a student. Wrong. There's some college students that are, that are attending churches that have vibrant youth ministries. You can, you can serve in those ministries. You can volunteer your time there. You have lots of peers who need Jesus. Lots of them. But if we don't lead the horse to water, it can't drink. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says this. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And then Peter goes on to say, resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Satan wants to keep the living water away from them. And we need to fight the fight and do what it takes to bring them to the water. We must resist together. We must fight together. We must join together. We have a huge number of students in our county that are in this state of lostness. We have a lot of people in general that are like sheep without a shepherd, don't we? I think you probably know lots of people. Now, let me ask you this question. Of those people, have you ever felt compassion for them? Here's what compassion means. Compassion is a deep, it is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. But it doesn't stop there. The definition of compassion goes on to say, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate their suffering.
Have you felt true compassion for the crowds of lost and hurting people in our communities? Have you sensed a call to to be that person that does something about it? You know, this church, Rick, come up here. This church was values youth from the beginning. From when it was first started, valued youth. And that value was established, I think, was, was begun by a man who was my lead pastor when I was five years old, pastor of Little Alban Baptist Church, by the name of Dick Young. And I remember my mom sitting in the front row of our church weeping the day that he turned in his letter of resignation. And I was like, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? This church exists because he left Alban Baptist Church. Cheyenne Hills exists because he and his wife left this church. And there's a story that Rick tells about a little interaction that he had with Dick Young one day, and I wanted him to to tell it because only he can tell it like he can tell it. I really didn't want to come up here and show my age. Short, please. Okay. Because we're going to roll the timetable back 37 years to this fall. We were meeting down on Main Street. This building did not exist. We were a small, small group. <clears throat> One afternoon, shortly after we were married, probably a couple months after we were married, Dick arrived in my driveway, came in the house, <clears throat> and started a conversation about uh, youth ministry and and Dick looked at me and he said Rick he said our kids are going to hell and he said I don't have to tell you that because you already know it he said the kids in our county are going to hell and I just drove out here this afternoon to ask you one thing What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Then he got in his truck and drove off. That was the beginning, 37 years ago, of the youth ministry that we have here today. Kids are the same. Kids are going to hell, just like they were 37 years ago. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Thank you. Now, my fear in preparing this sermon, as I shared with a couple people beforehand, was that that it was going to turn into one big guilt trip. And I wanted it to be that, but not from me. I want it to be a conviction of your heart from the Holy Spirit. So for the next couple minutes, here's what I want to tell you about youth ministry. I want to tell you about youth ministry here at North Hills. 
I was the youth pastor here, for those of you who are new to our congregation, for 16 years. I've been lead pastor now, going on nine, I think. So working on our year 27. Um, When I first started here, man, it was tough. We only had a few kids. Um, We... We, uh, we struggled, um, I struggled with the presence of the guy that was still in the community as, who had been their youth pastor, um, I, I just had some, some personal things that I was struggling with, but, but one person told me, he said, when, I mean, middle school youth group was just nuts. Um, as a leader, I got locked in a closet <laughs> by the middle school students. Um, this person said to me, he said, David, if you can, if it, you have, you have succeeded as a youth pastor, if you can get them to love each other. That's what he said. Now, of course, we know that in order to love each other, we have to know love and we know that love comes from God. But man, um, I think about those 16 years as a youth pastor, those were fun times. Yeah, life was hard, and students were selfish, and I got, my wife and I at times got hurt, we got brokenhearted, sat in our home with a girl and shared Christ with her, and she said, you know what, I just, I I just can't commit my life to him because I want to straighten it up first, and I'm just thinking that's not what he wants. You can't, you can't do that. We had kids come to Christ, I had a kid pull into my driveway one day, threw a cooler on top of his hood of his pickup and said, I'm done. I go look in the cooler and there's a six-pack in there. It wasn't Pepsi. Kids need to know that we love them. You know, um, Mr. Maxwell said that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And we need the kids of this county to know that we care. But I, I, so here's the thing. I, I wrote down a few things just, just really quick. Um, let's see, uh, uh, we had great small group discussions, um, sharing nights, some of them unbelievably transparent and authentic, worship nights, running all over the county, chasing kids, hematomas on hips, yeah, Dave Hansen, oh my goodness gracious, I, it just, I think about that, you probably, I haven't noticed, you, you still walk funny? You still feel it? Um, burning cars, flying off of cliffs. Of course, you can't do that this month because there's a full fire ban on. But um, one night, we loaded all the kids in a school bus, took them out to the middle of nowhere, shut off all the lights, turned the bus off, and we had them do sort of a visualization thing. Okay, we want you to think about this. And then, and now, and then we had them write a letter. And it was one of the most powerful youth groups that that we had done in a long time. And here's the thing. I know that when I say, we need you to volunteer, we need you to give your time, we need you to love these kids, you think, oh my gosh, I'm busy. I don't, I, how could I even sacrifice any more time than what, I'm, than what I already am? I guess what I would say about that is you got to find the time to give. But here's the thing. It is so much fun. It really is. If you go into it with the perspective of I'm here not to be perfect, not to have all the right things to say, but to love these kids.
Their life could be changed. Man, there's memories. Retreats in the mountains, conferences at Maranatha, getting snowed in, acquire the fire, Dawson McAllister, dare to share, camp. So many kids impacted by the youth ministry here at North Hills. Now, I want to do two things. First of all, I want, if you've ever served in the youth ministry here at North Hills, I want you to stand up right now. Stand up quick. Be fast. Be fast. If you've ever served in the youth ministry here at North Hills, I want you to stand. Thank you. It was fun, wasn't it? Now, sit down. Some of that old crew, that old bunch, And they even back then thought of themselves as being old. What do I even have to contribute? You have yourself. Now, now I want, if you are in this room and you have attended or been impacted by the youth ministry at North Hills at any time in the past, I want you to stand. Okay, now, go ahead and sit down. Thank you. Now, um, a couple of the families that I was hoping were going to be here weren't, aren't here today. But, but here's the thing. Out of some of those people that you saw, some of them have children. Some of them were in the youth ministry when I was the youth pastor. I did many of their weddings, in fact. Um... I've done a couple funerals for them as well. We have kids in our world today who are missionaries, doctors, lawyers, politicians, teachers, farmers, ranchers, mechanics, youth pastors, pastors. They've all been... impacted because of people willing to give of their time. Not just the church saying, hey, we want to hire a youth pastor, but people willing to give their time and invest, invest in the lives of kids. I heard a statement this weekend. It was this. It was Andy Stanley who said this, and he was talking mostly to leaders, and and he said this. He said, your greatest contribution to the world may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. Think about that as a parent. It may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. And that can be true of a volunteer at the church or a teacher. Anybody that invests in the lives of children, you may think, well, what I do really isn't that important, but it may have nothing to do with what you do. It's who you've invested your life in and what they're going to do someday, maybe. Now, Jesus went on, our point number three, He saw, and we can see too, there's no doubt that the harvest is great and that there are kids still going to hell today. And some of them prematurely because they've lost all hope. Jesus not only identified and felt that pain, but he took action to do something about it. And then, so Jesus commanded. And he commanded two things, really. One is in this passage. He said, pray. He said, pray 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And, and I think you're probably thinking, well, that gets me off the hook. I just pray for other people to do it. Right? Jesus says that's step number one. We need to pray that there's workers. We need to ask him to provide. We need to, to feel his compassion for the need that's in our community. And we need to pray for workers. Then at the end of the book of Matthew, we see Jesus saying this in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He commands us to go. He commands us to go. He tells the disciples to ask the Lord to send workers, and then right here he says to the disciples, you are those workers. You're it. Go. Go and teach. Go and disciple. Baptize. Teach them about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you to the end of the age. Here's the thing, we can't, we can't possibly impact the number of lives that are there to be impacted in our county if it's just Caleb and Pastor Michael and myself and even just a few handful of other people. We need you. We need you. And I would also say, kids need you. The kids need you. So what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that, that we would see that life is to be more about just us. And it's so easy for myself, Father, to fall into that, to, to just cocoon myself and try and insulate myself from all the other stuff that's going on in our world. But, Father, I have seen seen what it looks like when people give. I have seen what, it's look, what it looks like to be on a team of, of people that love kids that we're talking about here this morning. And Father, I pray that, that as we get ready to kick off our youth ministry here in a couple weeks and as Awana is preparing to kick off as well, Father, I pray that you would help us to see that we have to know all the answers. We don't have to be great Bible students. Lord, as pastors, we help with that. I pray that you would give us that nudge that we need to step in and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me, I will do it. And Father, help us as the staff of the church to engage people with our students and create opportunities for that relationship to build. 
Father, I pray for parents who are here today. I pray that they would see, too, that, that their input in the lives of their kids spiritually is so important. Father, I pray that as we, as a church, the body of Christ, stand up and against the dark powers of this world, that we would see you alive and well as we love kids. And Father, help us to see that it's so rewarding. Not always. But there are those times where you give us a glimpse of of what our investments have grown into. And I pray, Father, that our church would continue In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's close in this last song.